Good afternoon, my friends. The doctor is in the house. Welcome back to another episode of To Your Health with Dr. G on this great Wednesday. I'm broadcasting here live in Intellectual Radio Studios and on Facebook Live. We welcome you back to the show. I'm so excited today because today I got two of my really good friends here, Dr. Drew Spencer and Dr. Matthew McCoy, and you guys will meet them in a bit. But really, today, we're going to have fun, but we're going to be serious at the same time. We're going to talk about a topic that's important to all of us, What we're talking about today, concussions, the latest in prevention, diagnosis, and treatment. Again, my name is Dr. Mark Gomez. I'm a board-certified internal medicine physician out of Edward Hospital in Naperville and Bolingbrook, Illinois. You can check out my website at www.drmarkgomez.com. My handles on social media are at To Your Health Dr. G. Again, we're broadcasting here on Facebook Live as well as in Intellectual Radio Studios. This is going to be a great talk because concussions at the end of the day, it's such an important topic for all of us. And as a primary care physician, certainly uh, we see people that come in with head injuries, we certainly refer to our specialty colleagues when we see certain, certain injuries. But this is a common thing that happens. So before we get to meet our, mess, our guests, what we're going to do today is we're going to just kind of lay the playing field. We're going to talk a little sports too because of, because of the concussions situation that we see in sports and Hollywood and things like that. But really I want to lay the groundwork, lay the foundation. Because at the end of the day, what we're talking about on the show is we're talking about building trust and delivering truth. And I want you guys out there to remember that because that's one of the reasons why I started this show. I want to use my network of medical expertise. Use me out there. Navigating your health can be complicated. It can be hard. It can be scary at times. And so when we created this show, we wanted to make sure that people get the right answers from the right people. And then they go on and talk with their doctors about ways to live healthy, fulfilling, and active lives. So today's topic, where we talk about concussions which is a very important thing, but let me hit you with a quick disclaimer before we get into some of the meat and potatoes of this all. The content of To Your Health with Dr. G is for informational and entertainment purposes only, and that the content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment. Further details can be found at www.toyourhealthwithdrg.com slash disclaimer. So this topic today, concussions, is important, and today I've got uh, two of my good friends here, Dr. Matthew McCoy and Dr. Drew Spencer, who are experts on the matter. You guys are going to meet them in a bit. But I want to lay down a little more of the foundation. So a concussion. A concussion is really a traumatic brain injury. And we're going to kind of frame this conversation around the context of traumatic brain injuries. But we'll get into the little to the nitty-gritty of concussions because it's such more, there's so much more of a public awareness on this condition. But traumatic brain injury, concussions, characterized by the head, and brain moving rapidly back and forth, striking inside of the skull. And really when you look at some of the statistics out there, the major cause of death and disability in the U.S. is actually traumatic brain injury. It represents 30% of all injury deaths, and approximately 153 people in the U.S. die each day from injuries that include traumatic brain injury. When we think about survivors of that, if somebody has a form of traumatic brain injury, and again, we're going to frame it about concussions, which is the most common in a sort of milder form, but when you think about people that survive concussions or traumatic brain injury, the effects can last days or sometimes it can be permanent, and it can have context and, and, and implications on their families and their communities. So concussion is the most common form of traumatic brain injury, and we're going to break this down a little bit more. So what I want to do is I want to welcome my panel 
to the to the show today. Each week again, I invite a group of medical experts on, and we talk about a topic to get people the right information. So you out there that's listening and watching, I want you guys uh, to really understand what we're talking about today, because you can be a busy, you can be a weekend warrior, you can be a busy parent. This theme of concussions may actually cross your pathway and cross into your life. So what I want to do is I want to introduce my first guest today, Dr. Matthew McCoy. And uh, Dr. McCoy and I go back to our days at Loyola uh, Medical School, Loyola University Medical School, Stritch School of Medicine. Uh, we were in the same class, actually. So in the year 2000, graduated in 2004. But I'm going to let Dr. McCoy tell you more about his bio in a second. Dr. McCoy is a board-certified neurologist. He's also the associate professor and residency program director of neurology at Loyola Medicine. Check him out at www.loyolamedicine.org. Dr. McCoy, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's great. Please tell us a little bit more about yourself. Uh, uh, I already uh, let the cat out of the bag on the Loyola thing, but please let us know about where, where you did your training and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah, so um, again, my name is Matthew McCoy. I, I grew up here locally. I grew up down the street in Elmhurst, not, not far from the recording studios here. Um, I did my medical school training at Loyola Medical Center, as you mentioned. I did my residency and fellowship at the University of Chicago. And I then went back to Loyola and started practice there back in 2009, going right back to our medical school, which has been a great experience. Excellent. All right, my next guest, I'm so glad to have you guys here. This is awesome. And uh, so my next guest, I met him a few years ago when he came on staff out of Edward Hospital, Edward Elmer's Health. And he and I connected really, really quickly, and partly because he's seen a ton of my patients, so... But he's an excellent clinician uh, and an expert on this topic. So I had, when I was coming up with this idea of the show to talk about concussions, I knew I had to have both Dr. McCoy, who you just met, but also my good friend, Dr. Drew Spencer, on the show. So Dr. Spencer, welcome to the show. Dr. Spencer is a board-eligible neurosurgeon with Edward Elmer's Healthcare. Check him out at www.eehealth.org. Dr. Spencer, welcome to the show. Mark, thank you for having me. Um, Please I'm tell us about your background. Myself. I grew up a little farther south up here in the small town of Marseille, Illinois, and then I went to SIU for medical school, trained in both Loyola and Northwestern, and then I ended up out at Edward with you. And, yeah, and unfortunately, concussion is a big part of my practice with people with any, any number of traumatic injuries, from the most severe to the most trivial. Anybody that has any blood in their head, unfortunately, comes across me at some point. Thank you. I mean, get both of you guys on the show. So here's how we work the show. For those that are new to the show, as I invite my guests on, and those that have seen the show before, we talk about what's called the chief complaint, a.k.a. the question of the hour. And what I'm going to do is I'm gonna, we're going to set the framework for the discussion and then really have our experts weigh in on their opinions. And again, we want people to get some practical information from today's show to therefore talk with their healthcare practitioners and see how they can continue to minimize risk for head injury and do as much as they can from a preventative standpoint going on in their lives. So the question of the hour, AKA the chief complaint, what are we doing to increase concussion awareness, prevention, diagnosis, and treatment in 2018 when compared to the past? So I wanna ask Dr. McCoy the first question. First and foremost, why don't we just talk a little bit about some of the stats, other stats about concussion. Who's at risk? Yeah, so the, probably the biggest group of people at risk are anyone who's going to be involved in activities that could cause injuries either to the head or a force transmitted through the body to the head. So who, who I think we are we all probably the most worried about um, as both physicians and parents and just folks working in the community, uh, it's mostly younger folks, right? So the, the biggest group of athletes that we think about are mostly high school players. Uh, and then we can think about kids at the collegiate level and then that very small group 
at the various high level of the sport, like in the NFL, were kind of statistically almost an anomaly, though very important. So who's the biggest risk? I think a lot of people are at risk, particularly anyone involved in, in uh, sporting activities, not necessarily just contact sports, uh, but are probably our biggest at-risk group. What about, Dr. Weatherly, as a final question, what about the, the elderly? Is there any risk that you see from older individuals versus the teenage or child, uh, children population that you're seeing? Yeah, so I think as we think about concussion, my, my concern with the older population would just be straight-up fall risks, right? So individuals who have fallen and had some sort of uh, head injury or body injury that could increase their risk. Thank you for clarifying that. And I think some of the stats on that one that I've seen um, falls, this is based off of CDC data, 2013 published, well, it was published recently, but it's based on 2013 data. Uh, when they talk about falls, they believe that 47% of, of all traumatic brain injury-related ER visits, hospitalizations, and deaths can be attributed to uh, falling. And certainly when you're seeing it in the elderly population, as you said, just straight-up falls, uh, they have 79% of those individuals and adults age 65 receive a very high risk. And certainly, as you were mentioning, the uh, younger population getting risk as well, too. Dr. Spencer, is there any kind of like particular um, uh, symptoms that somebody may present with when you're thinking about possibility of concussion or other forms of traumatic brain injury? I think the symptoms are really a, a varied bag, Mark. Um, the, the common thread is a fall or some sort of trauma. It is the unifying thing. Most people have a headache. They may have other symptoms ranging from nausea or vomiting or visual complaints are the most common ones that I think we both see after concussions. Excellent. What about, let me ask you a final question. What, you know, we're, we're talking about obviously the, the context of falls, but, you know, other things too, um, motor vehicle accidents, um, self-harm, to be honest, uh, as other risks that are out there. What's your guys' take on that? I'll ask you that question, Dr. Spencer. What are, the, what are the reasons for people to have concussions, other risks? Abuse, I think, is something we have to think about, too. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, when it comes down to, like, the, 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 the awareness of things, again, certainly we're more publicly aware of things in 2018 than we were at any point. I, can think, I think we can all safely say that because of sports, as you're mentioning, and because, as I mentioned in my opening comments about Hollywood uh, making, this, making this topic much more in the public eye. How do we go about, and again, I want to maybe ask this question to Dr. Dr. McCoy. You know, say we're at the, at the high school level, we're seeing a lot of these, these things happening. How do you go about just starting basic education at the school level? Yeah, so um, you know, for me, one of the, the big things with concussion today, 2018, if we go back to when we were in med school, which was now a million years ago. Seems so, like it. Yeah, right? Um, <laughs> We didn't talk about concussion. There was very little discussion about it. Uh, the idea was that, well, if you got your bell rung, if you were okay within a couple of minutes, you could go back out in the field to play. Um, and we didn't think a great deal about it. And then for a lot of reasons that we'll maybe talk about later, this has become something much more in the forefront of our concerns about, well, does this cause immediate or long-term uh, neurologic effects? And I don't think we have the answers to these yet, which, which is maybe even more challenging. Uh, I think probably the biggest message we need to deliver is sort of twofold at all levels, which are, Concussions are a serious injury that uh, can really affect anybody. Uh, it can have some sort of short and immediate term effects. I think we also need to deliver a message that we're not sure what the long-term effects of a concussion are at this point. Uh, we need more information. We need more studies. Um, there's been a lot of speculation and some great science already, but um, letting athletes know that you know if you've had a concussion, that doesn't necessarily mean there's a late-life late neurologic problem. Um, so I think it's twofold. I think we need education about Concussion in the moment is a serious medical condition that needs to be taken uh, uh, seriously based on, on how the individual presents. 
and long-term, we just need more information about what are, if any, long-term effects of concussion. I want to continue with this theme about sports-related seminars. This question, Dr. Spencer, you know, certainly there's a lot of pressure. When you're playing sports competitively, yes, you want to win. And there's certainly um, more pressure for a physician as yourself to clear somebody who may, who may have been concussed. Uh, it, it seems like the public, public perception is that, oh my gosh, this guy needs to get back on the playing field. How do you kind of really judge between when it's truly safe versus maybe facing any potential external influences that says, hey, get this person, get this kid, get this professional back on the field as soon as possible? How do you kind of balance that out? How do you know when you're doing, I mean, obviously you're doing the right thing as a professional, as a physician, but how do you deal with some of those maybe external influences that may or may not be there? Well, today I think we're more empowered to do that. I think, like Matt mentioned, the history of this is that everybody thought you got your bell rung as long as you can still walk and go back in the game and contribute. But I think now, with all the awareness of the long-term ramifications of this, we've been empowered that the coaches, the medical staff, anybody on that sideline, it's their responsibility to know the long-term risks and apply that to somebody who maybe isn't thinking about that. Certainly in the moment, or you see this a lot in young individuals who they just want to play a game. It might be that you go back to high school kids, this might be their last game. The last thing they want to hear is they're out for any period of time. But I think it's our responsibility to stand up for those people. Excellent. Let me ask you another kind of uh, similar question, same with this team of sports. Uh, certainly at the time of a concussion, say it's in a competitive event, uh, we certainly as clinicians, we rely on a lot of our athletic trainers that are walking the sidelines whether it's football or, or soccer, they're walking the sidelines. Sometimes a physician presence isn't necessarily there right there in that moment. How do you kind of work with uh, educating the athletic trainers? How do you kind of keep awareness from other allied health professionals that are there? I'll ask that question to Dr. Spencer. How do we propagate that information yeah. and get that to the other levels? I think there's a growing campaign, starting from the NFL down, they've been the biggest proponents of it. And Equipping, pe equipping people with the questionnaires and the methods to evaluate people to know when it's appropriate for them to go back and when it's appropriate for them to be out. And I think that the more we focus on this and just educate the people who are leading these young people is the answer to that, making sure we get the right people out of the game. Dr. McCoy, certainly at the professional level, there's a lot of resources there because of obviously the heightened attention. But what about, like, we're talking about communities that may not have those resources. How do we start to even have that kind of conversation? Yes, yeah, so, you know, your average concussion is going to likely be in a high school game or grade school game uh, if you're talking about just sports. I, I think something the Illinois High School Sports Association, the IHSA, has done is, and I think nationally, a campaign of when in doubt, sit them out. You know, as parents, as coaches, uh, as just sort of spectators, if, if you think someone has had a concussion, the most important thing to do is pull them out. Uh, there is no game that can be played at any level that's worth a potential injury. So, uh, again, getting back to this idea that, you know, it, it, knee injuries, we understand. The guy can't walk, we understand he can't play. Can't play. Brain injury, the guy's walking around, he looks okay, so it's really tempting to say, well, you should go back in. If there's any concern, really, the athlete needs to get pulled out and needs to get evaluated by somebody who knows how to do that evaluation. And a lot of places, that, that person may not be present on the sideline. Uh, certain levels, you will have it, but uh, the most important thing is get the athlete to safety. So in the uh, 2015 movie Concussion, starring Will Smith, that movie debuted, and it really focused on a lot of the work uh, of, uh, of forensic pathologist and neuropathologist Dr. Bennett Omalu, uh, who really put concussion on a very big social awareness, public awareness um, forefront. And he basically published the findings of, of, of a condition called chronic traumatic encephalopathy, CTE, in American football players. And he published it in 2005 in his journal, in the Journal of Neurology, and he called for further study of the disease. So 
and he was doing the, the, the obviously the report was on, on a deceased NFL player named Mike Webster, who uh, Dr. Omalu was studying the brain. So that was 2005 when that paper was published, but he actually did the studies in 2002, I believe, on Mike Webster um, at the, on, on the brain slides. But have we really moved the needle, do you think, Dr. McCoy? Have we moved the needle in, in just even the last 10 years, 15 years of saying, hey, we are really moving it, or do we still have more work to do? I think we have a, I think, I think the answer is yes to both. Uh, th there's been a lot more information now about this than there was 10, 15 years ago. We are nowhere near where we need to be. Um, I think there's been some recognition that head injuries can cause neurologic problems for a long time. Uh, the original papers uh, going back to the 1920s and 1930s looking at boxers, uh, that was published looking at um, things like dementia pugilistica, uh, uh, boxers who were punch drunk. We, we've seen data that head injuries potentially cause neurologic problems. There's been speculation about a lot of different disorders that can occur. Um, these findings that that have become really popular in the last few years are, are new. They add a lot to the current literature. Um, what we would like to see is the findings that have been seen in these athletes, are, are they causative? Is, are the pathologic changes you see something that do cause a late-life neurologic problem? Or are they incidental, that, that uh, they are there but they're not causing some of the symptoms? Um, we, we would love a little bit more data on that. Um, we don't have a lot of normals. Um, most of the individuals who have been studied had symptoms. That's why their brains were were donated. Um, so we, we are not there yet in terms of having a full understanding of the long-term implications, if any, of these head injuries. So we we're talking about, obviously, from the sports perspective, and I think, uh, obviously, as a parent myself, and I've got a four-year-old son and a seven-year-old girl, and they're active in sports, and as a physician, it does kind of cross my mind and say, you know, maybe I'm kind of the helicopter parent that just wants to be there all the time, but, you know, I want them to be able to, to participate in sports because they like playing sports and they, they, it's fun. Uh, you know, a lot of parents have some reservations on getting their children involved in contact sports because of the heightened awareness. Uh, Dr. S Dr. Spencer, how do you really kind of educate the parents? How do you, I mean, how do you, you know, you have conversations with your patients, but how do you educate the parents on what signs to look for? Or, or even, how do you kind of give the reassurance that, hey, you know, as long as we're prepared, you can play that sport where we'll be okay. How do you kind of have those kind of conversations? Mark, I think that's one of the most difficult conversations to tell them because, no, I can't in good faith go out and tell them that they'll be fine, go out and play football, do whatever you want, or go out and play soccer. There's a big thing now coming up about even girls' soccer where they're taking a lot of head injuries. So no sport is totally safe, but I think the best way you can do that as a parent is for you to be able to do some of their normal activities and not be completely fatigued and just with their initial taking care of themselves. I think that's when it's time to push them and at least start out with at least some of the time going back to their normal activities and going back to school. Uh, with that, I think you're going to have a handful of kids that do bounce back that don't tolerate it the first few days, but I think it's a fine balance between when it's too early and, and letting them have too much rest. The, the uh, rule of thumb that I remember from going through my days, and again, I agree, Dr. McCoy, when we were at Loyola as medical students, we didn't really touch, talk about this hardly at all. And now, again, I just love to see that we've grown as a society to embrace a topic like this and have just more, create, to create more public awareness. Um, but I was kind of thinking as an intern, as an intern, as I kind of say, all right, you need to rest. Um, and I say, I don't want you really doing much of anything, just, just to rest. Hard for some people to do, of course, I'm like a busy professional and I'm seeing, that, seeing adults. But when can somebody like get engaged in maybe 
using their brain. And, and I could maybe go back to Dr. Spencer as you're describing, you know, what are you looking for in kids? When can they read a book again? When can they engage in like brain activity? I'll ask that question to Dr. McCoy. Yeah, so one, we don't have a perfect answer. Uh, two, the pendulum has really swung heavily on this. Uh, again, you have the American Academy of Neurology, my academy, in the late 1990s, we put out a position statement about concussion. If you had a concussion, less than 15 minutes of symptoms, you didn't lose consciousness, you could return to the field of play that day. Um, then, then in, with uh, particularly FIFA and some European agencies, they put out guidelines uh, in about 2012 um, where went completely in another direction. Absolutely no activity whatsoever until you're asymptomatic. Dr. Spencer mentioned, well, the problem with that becomes that, that can be a long time. Um, it's similar to in, in the past, we said, well, if you have a back injury, just lay, stay in bed for a long time. Yeah, we used to well, say that a lot. <laughs> it turns out it, it makes it last longer. So um, uh, trying to find that, that balance is really challenging. The other reality is we could take 100 people, give them all the same hit, and they're going to get 100 different outcomes. So it has to be individualized. Uh, for me, when I'm talking to either athletes or adults, um, I want them to try to rest. I want them while they're symptomatic for the first maybe 24, 48 hours. Um, I want them to get back into some activity. So light walking, um, light exercise. I think reading is fine. Um, I, I really ask them to try to minimize electronics. So try to minimize television with fast-moving objects, try to minimize uh, screen time, which is probably a good idea in general, um, until they are progressing through and getting to the point where they can do activities without symptoms. No video games then for uh, our teenagers that are playing Halo and all this kind of stuff? So, you know, I thought about this and thought, well, am I giving good advice? My feeling was, I'm probably giving good advice, period, saying don't play video games. So, uh, particularly a symptomatic athlete or adult, me telling them, listen, put down the TV and the, the video games for 48 hours, I'm probably doing them a favor anyway. Uh, and I think there's some <laughs> reason... the last they, time they did that? That's not I said. Correct. Um, you know, particularly if they're, if they're still symptomatic, I think that's, that's the right thing to do. Okay. I'm going to ask this question for Dr. Spencer. So, we're, so we're talking a minute now about a little bit more of the kind of the recovery, what to expect, and when can people integrate themselves back into their daily routines. Dr. Spencer, from your perspective, um, when does it seem to drive a car again after somebody's been uh, concussed? There's no guideline for that, Mark. There's no set answer for that. I think you should be, especially in a severe concussion, you should be evaluated by a professional. There are certain signs that are really important for us to figure out. If you have any problems with visual spatial processing or you have any certain, certainly eye movement abnormalities, that's not going to be safe for you to process information and drive. Everybody recovers at a little different rate. Some people never have that from the, from the get-go with a concussion. Some people have it two days later. So I think at the very minimum, it requires evaluation by at least your primary care, by a specialist. If someone needs to evaluate you and do a full neurological exam before you should get behind the wheel of a car. Um, when we think about our, our, our athletes again, and, and, and this is interesting, I, I love that we're talking about this because this is just practical stuff. You know, people got to work, people got to go to school, people play sports. Um, you know, and we're trying to make sure that people are safe at the end of the day. And that's, what I'm, that's the kind of vibe I'm getting from you guys. We want people to be safe and exercise correct judgment. On the flip side, we know, again, some of those, as I was mentioning earlier, about some of those external pressures that may be there to say, hey, you got to compete, or as Dr. McCoy saying, you know, the high school kid who might be in his last couple of games of his football season this year, he's not going to say anything. What does that set you up for? Because let me ask you this, Dr. McCoy, what if somebody who clearly had a concussion gets concussed again? Yeah, so... Um Again, we don't know, and I think we're in a, uh, you know, there's uh, this, this discussion about second impact syndrome, which we could probably get into. Um, we don't know. It does look like potentially there's a window where if you've had one concussion, there may be a window where you're at a higher risk for a second concussion or third concussion. And will that eventually cause uh, either immediate 
intermediate or long-term neurologic issues, and I, I don't think we're sure. I certainly think if someone's had a concussion, they've shown that they, are, they have the propensity to be concussed, and we want to try to reduce that risk as much as possible. What are some other, let me ask Dr. Spitzer, what are some other complications of somebody that, that is concussion, a severe concussion? I mean, obviously you think about the prolonged, the prolonged symptoms, whether the visual-spatial symptoms, um, you know, mobility type symptoms, you mentioned like focus, Dr. McCoy mentioned that earlier, concentration, but, but what are some dangers that are out there? I mean, the risk, I mean, we're trying to create some urgency on this topic, and again, I think the, the public and the public stratus, stratus we've, we've created some urgency, but like, what are the real dangers out there if somebody maybe mistakes a concussion from a severe, another severe traumatic brain injury? What's the danger at the end of the day? I mean, what are people at risk for? I think people are at risk for missing a serious injury, and I shouldn't say missing a serious injury. Concussion is a serious injury. So anytime you have those symptoms, that has we know it has long-term implications. But if you don't take it seriously, if you, you don't get evaluated, if you don't have that sensitivity to it, I think you can miss a life-threatening condition, which is unfortunately what we see too often. Mm -hmm. You know, I think about the, the impact of, of, of um, multiple injuries, you know, sustained injuries, going back earlier about the studies with Dr. Omalu, um, multiple, uh, the cumulative effects of these multiple injuries, that's real. And, and, and the reality is that sometimes we just still put ourselves in that situation. Not us, because none of us sitting here on this panel, anybody that's watching, we're not athletes. Uh, we, we're athletes in our dreams, uh, in our sleeping, when we're sleeping at night, or when we're daydreaming in between uh, patients, when we're going to see the next patient in the room, maybe we're athletes and all that kind of stuff. Or to our kids, we're definitely super dads. Uh, but we're not athletes at this table. But, but the reality is that people can still put themselves in that situation. So let me kind of reframe the, frame the question a little bit. What are we doing to prevent this from happening? Uh, I'll ask Dr. McCoy, what, what, what are some steps that we can take to prevent concussions or any form of head injury from happening? Sure. So I think it's going to depend on the context, right? Sports versus non-sports. Um, for uh, sports, I think a lot is in simply the, the existing rules as well as some of the technology. Um, you know, there's a really fascinating study from maybe 10 years ago, uh, the Department of Defense is really interested in this. We talk a lot about the NFL and sports. The Department of Defense is extremely interested in concussion because they're putting um, the military personnel at high risk with blast injuries. So there was a study looking at a mouse model. Uh, they put mice in a blast chamber, and when the mouse was blasted, they could create uh, pathologic findings similar to what we see with CTE, uh, where they could see very specific changes in the brain. If that mouse's head was fixed, I imagine they probably stapled the head to do that, and the mouse was blasted, so the head didn't rotate. There was no pathologic changes. So there's some thought that, well, the, the technology itself could probably get to a point where you can start reducing concussion. If you watch NFL football or college football, you've, you've seen those changes in the helmet technology. Probably the biggest thing we can do, though, at least at the sports level, um, is just enforce our existing rules. Uh, in the sport of football, the death rate was pretty consistent from the early 1900s to about 1974, and in 1974, they banned spearing. Uh, everyone who's played football has seen it. There's a sticker on the back of your helmet. Right when you put your helmet on, the last thing you see is a warning. This is not to be used as a weapon. You're not supposed to strike people with your helmet. So at all levels, if there's coaches who are, I want, what can I do to reduce my, my kid's risk of, of injury? Well, make sure they're tackling appropriately. Uh, don't lead with the helmet. Let's try to minimize head hits. Um, we mentioned soccer, right? Football is getting a lot of the attention. Football is our sport here in America. Well, how many times when somebody's practicing headers in, in their, you know, during the week prior to a game, how many consecutive hits to the head are there with uh, corner kicks, for example? 
So I think trying to improve the technology is one thing, and two, trying to minimize head contact that's unnecessary are, are two big steps we can do. I think about uh, some other things when we think about our kids, you know, uh, protecting your kids as well, too. I mean, you mentioned you hit the head on the nail with the, with the technology and the design of the equipment and safe, safety. I just think of, like, just general thing. Kids fall, as you we were saying earlier, you know, hey, you know, parents out there, you know, have your gates up if you're if you're that steers. You know, there's so many things you can do around the house. Make sure your kids wear a seatbelt. You know, we talk about motor vehicle accidents as a reason for head injuries. You know, make sure people are wearing seatbelts. And and the seatbelt usage rate, I, I assume that it's better than it was back in the day, but I actually don't know because I feel like every time I'm driving, I'm seeing people that don't see uh, that are not wearing seatbelts. Um, but I think about other things like just general wellness. I mean, just. I tell people just stay active, exercise, and that's more of a kind of a cop out, kind of kind of preventive strategy. But I say just keeping the body moving. We want people to to live healthy lives, and to keep the body moving in a healthy way. Hopefully, that minimizes injuries as well too. Doctor Spencer, any other kind of techniques that are out there to prevent head injuries that you're seeing or that you're advising your patients? Yes. Not not specifically, Mark. Mm-hmm. I, I just tell them, especially if they've had a head injury you need to avoid certain things. Like I I actually see, oddly enough, in the middle-aged men population, even older than that, martial arts are a big thing. And I've had to tell multiple people, make that's not okay for right now. You have to, even the simplest things that are part of your daily routine, you don't realize the just minimal head trauma that can add up over time, especially when you've had a major injury. Go ahead, Matt. You know, I was just jumping looking at other other ways to reduce concussion risk. There's a, a number of things that are advertised and available that will reduce your risk of concussion if you're playing sports. We don't have any data on any of this stuff. None of it is FDA approved. Um, I'll occasionally have somebody come into the office and say, I found something that I can buy that reduces the risk of concussion. There's no good data on that. Uh, The best way to reduce the risk of concussion is to avoid head injuries. So it's all the stuff we talked about. Be aware of the sports you're playing. Wear your seatbelt. Wear your bike helmet. Um, Uh, Use the equipment appropriately. Well, hopefully as we do that, we can start moving the number. Again, we know that this statistically people are likely to get things. And we all understand accidents happen, you know, falls and things like that. But, but as we're trying to be more aware of everything that we're doing, then hopefully we're driving down the burden that it can take. I want to ask one more question before we get into myths versus facts. I'll ask this for, for uh, Dr. Spencer. Dr. Spencer, there's a, there's a uh, concept known as post-concussion syndrome. Can you explain that a little bit for us? Post-concussion syndrome can mean a lot of different things, and it's a general constellation of symptoms I think that Dr. McCoy probably sees a lot as well. And You can have people that have headaches, they have difficulty focusing, they have persistent nausea, dizziness, visual complaints. It's any number of those combined that, that persist for longer than what you would expect. Most people can feel better from a concussion in a few days. Anybody that has it longer than that, we generally lump them into the post-concussive syndrome diagnosis. Thank you. And I see that quite a bit from a primary care perspective. I'll see people come in. I'll say, you know, your story, it sounds like you had a concussion, or they might have been actually seen in the ER. They come back and see me two days later. Uh, they were diagnosed with concussion, and they may still have some lingering symptoms, and we usually give us some information to support on post-concussion syndrome. I actually try to make sure that all my patients that are diagnosed with concussion, whether it's diagnosed from the ER and they're sent home, uh, and then they come see me, I actually make sure that they see a neurologist. Um, and I think it just kind of covers all angles on things to just make sure that we have the highest level of treatment and, and awareness and education given to those patients. So what I want to do now, I want to go into a section called Myths versus Facts. And this is something I started a few months ago in the show. And really when we're talking about navigating your health and making sure that people have the right resources and the right information for, for just living healthy, the reality is that there's still a lot of blatant falsehoods and misleading information out there. So again, one of the reasons why we kind of got into this and created this show is we wanted to dispel some myths. So, 
I'm going to come up with, a, I'm going to ask my, my panelists some questions that I kind of gathered myself over the years from just people telling me some stories anecdotally, and I, and I look at them and I might say, hmm, I don't know what you're saying there. That sounds like, that sounds like a big old myth. Uh, but so, also I got some information from some uh, reputable resources uh, through the CDC, and that is a reputable resource. And so I want to ask our panelists here, we got myths versus facts concussion version. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to, state a, I'm going to read a statement and I'll ask the question, you either say myth or fact, and maybe one or two lines about why it is a myth or a fact. Here we go. Myth versus facts. Concussion style, everyone. All right. Dr. McCoy, first statement for you. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, a player who has been knocked unconscious will suffer a worse concussion than a player who didn't lose consciousness. Myth. Uh, the, the level of consciousness doesn't determine concussion. Um, it's, it, again, you can take 100 people, hit them the same way, uh, different outcomes. So uh, loss of consciousness is not an underpinning for concussion, though it can represent it. All right. Next question here, or next statement, I should say question. Next statement, Dr. Spencer. A normal CT scan rules out a concussion. Let's take that. Absolutely. All right. Please explain a little bit. I would guess there are multiple people in the ER per day that I never get called about because they have a normal CT scan and they absolutely <laughs> probably had a concussion. Fair enough. <laughs> All right. Next statement. Myths versus facts. Dr. McCoy. Helmets prevent concussions. Uh, I'm going to go... I don't want to, can I go fact and myth? I guess you can. Um, uh, I think helmets do, helmets are really critical for safety. They do protect the brain from even more severe, serious forms of traumatic brain injury. Um, but helmets can also cause concussion if they're used inappropriately. Um, a helmet used as a weapon can really cause a big injury to an athlete. So it's a little bit of both. All right. Dr. Spencer, here we go. Concussions are the same for adults and adolescents. Myth or fact? Myth. Very well. The, uh, yeah, the, the pathology, the injuries might be the same, but they have very different brains. I know that a lot of the pediatricians like to rally behind that they're not just little adults when they talk about kids or certainly adolescents. They have a lot of things going on developmentally. They tolerate some of these changes very differently from adults. I think, by the way, I think some of our listeners and viewers are on to our, our secret here. It's not really myths versus facts. It's really myths, myths, myths versus myths. I think everything I'm saying to you guys is a myth, uh, but that's what we're here to, to set the record straight. So here you go, myths versus facts. We gave them the answers already. All right, here we go. Uh, Dr. McCoy, um, dilated pupils are a sign of concussion. Uh, we're going to go myth, obviously, but if we do see dilated concussions, that, that's a big concern we have. Uh, you know, why is there a change in the pupils? Does this actually represent a more serious form of brain injury? Excellent. Dr. Spencer, myth versus fact. A person with a concussion must be taken to the emergency room. Myth. Please explain. It's really up to the medical staff on site to make that initial judgment, and it goes back to a lot of things we talked about before. A person with a concussion who's awake can pass most of the neurological testing, starts to feel better even within an hour of the injury. is probably okay for observation, but somebody that starts to develop you know, pupillary changes, lo localizing signs like motor weakness, those people need to be evaluated right away. People that clearly have an altered level of consciousness as well. All right. Uh, myth versus fact, Dr. McCoy. Physical activity should not be allowed following a concussion. Maybe that's actually more of a, maybe I'm telling the truth on this one. Yeah, <laughs> I, think it, I think it depends. Um, I think we should limit um, activities following concussion, but at some point we, we need to get people back in a graded fashion. So uh, activity is going to depend on the individual, but I do think within a couple days we want to get people mobilized and get it moving. Okay. A couple more of these. Dr. Spencer, 
Pain medication should never be given after a concussion. What's your take on that? I, I say myth on this. Uh, in doing what I do, we see a lot of people with other complex intracranial pathology, people after craniotomies, and there's two schools of thought on this. Never give narcotic or strong medications to these people because it can cloud your, your judgment, your assessment. But I think if you see a true neurological change in someone, they are going to display that change or be able to wake up through the pain medication. So you need to rely on those localizing signs, and those will tell you whether they have a more serious problem. The pain medication shouldn't be used to cloud your judgment. All right. Uh, Myth versus fact. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask this one to myself. Concussion should. Why not? I should get involved in this game too. It's my show, right? Uh, Concussion should be treated and managed on an individual basis. I say, well, well, when we talk about our patients, just in general, everything should be tailored to the patient themselves. So their management plan will be individualized based on their history and physical and their presentation. So I'm gonna say fact on that one. All right. Next one for Dr. McCoy. I think you can answer this one, and this might actually be a fact, too. But here we go. Children who have suffered a concussion should avoid all screens and digital media. I think you answered that. Yeah, my, my <laughs> preference is in the immediate period, yes. Let's try to decrease uh, inputs and hope that it can speed recovery. Um, I think we should probably decrease in screen time in general. So right after the incident, I would say, listen, let's try to take it easy. All right. And I'll leave this last myth versus facts for Dr. Spencer. Here we go. Say the best for last. Concussion patients should be awakened every few hours so they don't lose consciousness. What's your take on that? I think that's a myth, but it requires some judgment. I think if the initial evaluation is that they have a mild concussion, they're awake, they're alert, they're not displaying any of the signs that we went over previously, I think the rest is a big part of this as well, getting your normal rest. If they have any of those more worrisome signs, you probably shouldn't let them go to bed in the first place. You should be going in to be evaluated. Certainly, yeah. I always, and I always tell people this, you know, now, you know, there's no crime wolf when it comes to medicine and healthcare. I'd actually rather, I feel more comfortable myself rather telling somebody and giving them reassurance on something versus somebody maybe potentially delaying access to treatment or delaying treatment in general that can lead to some catastrophic, catastrophic effects. So I say, hey, if there's something going on, it doesn't seem right, you know it doesn't seem right, I want people to go see their doctor immediately. There's no harm when we're talking about concussions. Dr. McCoy and Dr. Spencer will say, go into the emergency room because you're going to get the treatment right away and the diagnosis right away. So we've got about five minutes left, guys. So what I want to kind of do is kind of wrap this up. We've been talking all, all aspects of concussions, the presentation, the symptoms, uh, approaches when it comes to, like, what can we do better as far as uh, clinicians ourselves, what can we do better as educating others, our athletic trainers, our coaches, our parents, our communities, the school levels, the educators, and everything. So I want to kind of wrap this up because it's been a great conversation. So what I want to do, at the beginning of the show, we talked about something called the chief complaint on why our question of the hour, which we've been talking about thoroughly. And now when we wrap it up, we're going to call this the assessment and plan. And for those that are new to out here to the show, Really, the assessment plan when somebody comes into your office, that's when you kind of wrap it up and you kind of give their diagnosis and their treatment strategy. So the assessment and plan, concussion style, uh, what I'm going to ask our panelists to do is just give us three or so uh, take-home points regarding concussions. Just kind of your final thoughts on this matter. I'll begin with Dr. Spencer. What's important for people out there to take away from this theme that we've been discussing of concussions? I think overall awareness, Mark, and just being cognizant of the long-term effects of it, and I think there's growing data now of things that are available for you. We talked about how to outreach. There's certainly things that are available now to make sure that you have adequate information for evaluating people. The SCAD-5, the Maddox questionnaire, just basic things that anybody with a concussion, no matter their age or other circumstances, wouldn't be able to pass. And I would say, like we talked about today, looking for those localizing signs from a practitioner's standpoint, knowing when it's a more serious problem, they need to be evaluated. And then just 
being diligent about follow-up. Some people, after their initial evaluation, will have the tendency to just go deal with this on deal with this on their own, and you really need guidance as far as the right thing for you. Exercise when to return to your normal activities. Dr. McCoyd, take-home points. Yeah. So all, all the things we just mentioned about you know, the acute management of the concussion and awareness um, of its entity and, and the need to take care of it in the immediate standpoint. My other take-home point is that. We don't know the long-term effects. Uh, you know, chronic traumatic encephalopathy is a big concern right now. We're still very much in our infancy in terms of understanding it. Um, you know, one of the challenges I think we all face as professionals and parents is we are trying to forecast where that science is going to go in 10, 20, 30, 40 years. Um, but we need to make decisions right now. Are we going to let our kids play sports? Are they okay doing contact? Um, and that has to be an individualized decision with, with risk and benefit. So uh, for me, from a professional standpoint, I'm, I'm fascinated where the science is going to take us, but I just wish we could get there faster. Excellent. Thank you. You know, for me, my kind of final thoughts are this. You know, we're talking about an important topic that can impact any of us, you know, our families, our kids, our loved ones, even accidents. You know, you could be at home doing a house project and you fall off a ladder and you hit your head. So really, it's all about just being aware of your surroundings. That's a message that can certainly be clear, certainly be told to our patients out there, our adults, but we have to even have better discussions with our kids. Obviously, we want the best for our kids and for our teenagers that are growing up and playing sports and everything, but we want to do it safely. And even for those that are out there that are adults, we want everything to be as safe as possible. So I cannot underscore the importance of knowing your surroundings, education, and of course, establishing a good relationship with your primary care doctor. And remember, if something goes bad, it's your primary care doctor that's going to really get you through the thick and thin. They can help direct you to specialists like Dr. Spencer or Dr. McCoy or some of their colleagues in their fields of neurology and neurosurgery. They can direct you to the emergency room or your pediatrician. For those parents that are out there, you know, talk with your pediatrician. There's so many ways that we can educate each other and educate the community at large and make sure that everybody has the equal resources to do well in combating concussions. So that being said, I want to thank my guests today, Dr. Drew Spencer, board eligible neurosurgeon, Edward Elmer's Healthcare. Check him out at www.eehealth.org. My good friend, Dr. Matthew McCoy, I invited him on the show. We went to Loyola together. We were talking a little bit about Loyola, alma mater, basketball is great. Dr. Matthew McCoy, board certified neurologist, associate professor, and residency program director, neurology at Loyola Medicine. Check him out at www.loyolamedicine.org. You guys know me. Next week on the show, we're going to be tackling a great topic. The title will be hashtag not fake news, vaccine save lives. You've been listening to me here, Dr. G, to your health with Dr. G, live here on Intellectual Radio Studios. Check me out on my website at www.drmarkgomez.com. See you guys next week. Peace out. Peace out.